This is episode 167, and it's titled Childhood Cancer on Alternative Health Tools, where together we discover alternative health tools and explore integrative healing philosophies for both individuals and practitioners. I'm Lisa Victoria, your co-host from across the pond in the UK, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. John. He was medically trained in India, he did an internship in Scotland, and he has been a pediatric um, professional doctor in the States for over 30 years in Texas, so a very varied career and global all around the world. He then retired and decided to do some research on food intake, which led him to writing his first book, Eat, Chew, Live. And then he's just gone on and on and on to explore the wonderful world of you know, food and how this can help heal the body and bring that back into harmony. So he's got lots and lots of material on his website, which is drjohnonhealth.com. And we'll share a little bit more about the books later on. But today we're talking about childhood cancer and how parents can help um, children and their families and their environments as as they're diagnosed. Um, They've got a, a child that's diagnosed with cancer. So I'm really looking forward to hearing Dr. John's opinions and knowledge and insight on this area. I know he's done so much research. So Dr. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, Lisa, I thank you for having me and I thank our listeners. As a cancer survivor, I have some insight into what cancer is because when I was given the diagnosis, the first thing I felt was fear. Yes. What is going to happen to me? How long am I going to live? How long? I, what am I going to suffer? And what is going to happen to my family? And then the uncertainty of what did I do wrong? Am I still continuing to do the same wrong thing? How can I help myself? Or am I at the mercy of the oncologist for the rest of my life? Yes. Then I figured out half the fear was not knowing Mm -hmm. what is cancer. Because in our medical school, we learn about cancer, but I don't have to pay much attention because I went on to something else. But when I was diagnosed, that changed the whole perspective. So I went deeper into that. And that is the insight that I have brought to my book, Surviving Cancer, and later on, When Your Child Has Cancer. And many of the things may be my opinion, because I cannot do controlled research being a retired person with no facilities. But at least what I want to share with the audience is the knowledge that I am proposing There is something that they can do on their own to control the growth of cancer cell. And if if they understand that, that gives them a part in the treatment. They are not totally dependent on the oncologist. There is a part the patient can play as well as the parents with a child diagnosed with cancer. So they don't feel so helpless. Yes. Thank you for sharing your journey and your experience and the two books you've written on, you know, surviving cancer and how you've then kind of translated your knowledge into when your child has cancer. And I can tell you're so passionate about helping people, Dr. John, you know, you're retired and your purpose in life now is to spread your knowledge and help as many people as possible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's uh, really lovely to have you back on the show. I can do that only with the help of people like you. Yes. It's a joint effort, isn't it? 
Yes, it is because we need to spread the message to as many people because there are so many people diagnosed with cancer. They feel so helpless that they cannot do anything. They have to get instructions from their doctor. I'm I'm empowering, trying to empower them. No, you are not a bystander. You are not a patient. You are a person with cancer. Yes. So you have some control. Yes. And it's taking back, like you say, empowering people to take back that control, isn't it? And not just being reliant on the medical world. It's we play a part in our own health and well-being, too. And because obviously we're talking about childhood cancer today, and I can feel another episode coming on talking about adult cancer and how we can, you know, empower people who are in their later years who, who are going through this. But going back to the children, why is it that, you know, your book, When Your Child Has Cancer, why is it that children so young are experiencing these these conditions, these illnesses? Well, in order to fully understand, first let us say what is cancer. Cancer is uncontrolled cell multiplication. Mm -hmm. Okay. To fully understand that, you have to start with what is controlled multiplication. When you get a cut in the skin, when there is a wound, that wound heals because new cells are formed. The mother cell that produces the baby cell is called a stem cell. Mm -hmm. So there are stem cells in every organ, every tissue. So when there's an injury, the stem cell gets a message. We need new cells. When there are sufficient cells produced, then the stem cell gets a message, stop, we have enough. Suppose the stem cell does not respond to the stop sign. It will keep on producing. Then you have cancer. In adults, both these activities, starting the cell division and stopping, are controlled by different genes. And with each gene, we have two copies, one from the father, one from the mother. When you have a family history of breast cancer, for example, you have inherited one bad gene, but the other gene will prevent you from having breast cancer until that gene gets mutated. This is why young girls who develop breast they don't have cancer when breasts are developing. Only later in life when the other gene gets mutated. So this is why it takes time for adults to develop cancer. Whereas in children, they don't have time. It, it could be a mutation, but it has to be happening in the womb or early childhood. For example, radiation. If you are exposed to radiation, that can cause mutation and cancer such as leukemia, which is very well established within five years after radiation exposure, children can develop leukemia. On the other hand, sometimes or most of the cancers in children are not due to exposure to a mutating agent. So now the question is, what? how does the cell know how to divide, let alone divide uncontrollably? Mm -hmm. Where did that cell learn the technique of div division? So for that, we have to go back to the original cell on the earth. I call it the Adam cell. What made the Adam cell divide? It cannot be due to an external condition because then the daughter cell will be in the same boat. Evolution in a cell takes place when there is a survival advantage. So it has to be an internal condition that forced the cell to divide. And you know what? That is still happening even today. Let me explain this to you. Please do. You're a wealth in, of knowledge, Dr. John. In every human being starts from a single cell called the zygote formed after fertilization of the ovum. 
And that fertilization takes place in the fallopian tube, not in the uterus, not in the womb, in the fallopian tube. And it takes six days of journey through the tube before that embryo is implanted. And during that time, the zygote is dividing. And by the time it reaches the womb, there are 200 cells. Keep in mind, it is traveling. It is not connected to the mother. So how can it divide unless it is due to an internal signal? So that signaling, that division started with the original cell that we have inherited that. And these 200 cells are assigned to different organs and systems. They become the stem cells to create new cells to form an organ or a system. And when that kidney is formed to the right shape and size, it stops dividing. When that liver is formed to the right size and shape, it stops dividing. And wait, when the skin is complete, it stops dividing and wait for an external signal indicating a need. So imagine the original stem cell that is assigned to the brain, for example. They, they are produced in the mid part of the body in, a, in, a, in, a, in the fetus. Then it moves to the head. It has to go to the right or to the left. It's already programmed. Okay. Suppose one by mistake, one that should go to the right goes to the left. Mm-hmm. It's an unknown place. It cannot make connections with other neurons. Keep in mind, the brain has 100 billion neurons. It's crazy. And each one is connected to every other one through either directly or indirectly. So if you are a right-handed person and you end up with a lot of left-handed people, how do you shake hands with them? <laughs> the same way, if the stem cell designed to form neurons become disoriented or in, and go to a, becomes an orphan in the left side. And then as the child grows up at f- age five or six, get a signal to divide and it starts division, but it is not in contact with the neighbors. So it cannot receive a stop divide order. It cannot uh, understand, you cannot even understand the signal mm-hmm. because there is nobody to catch hold of this stem cell and that is how brain cancer can form in a child wow wow it's um it's fascinating what you've just described there in terms of the biology behind it all and i've certainly learned something new and i hope our listeners out there are, are learning something new as well and it is it's kind of not our fault is it it's just our body is just not quite operating optimally that, that is correct either because of a developmental problem, you know, it went to the wrong place. Now, the question then is, when these stem cells reach the womb at uh, 200 stem cells, what made them stop dividing due to internal signaling and then start listening to the neighbors as to how many cells to produce? Mm -hmm. And what happened was the original Adam cell did not had to produce energy from glucose, just like every cell in the body can. Yes. But that produced increased acidity inside the cell, which broke apart the genes. And then that led to the cell division. But once it reaches the womb, the stem cell activate an alternate power producing facility called mitochondrion, which can generate energy from fatty acids Mm -hmm. rather than glucose. 
So this mitigated the acidity problem and also provided enough power for the cell to produce pumps to push out all the acid crea acidity creating materials to the outside. So the cell could survive and keep on producing new cells. Now, suppose that power producing facility had something wrong with it. It could not produce the power. Then the stem cell will fall back to the original way of producing power from glucose metabolism. And that can produce internal acidity, which in turn forces the cell to divide. And that is another way of having cancer. Wow. Wow. So, so lots of ways that it can happen without us even knowing what's going on inside. Exactly. There, there need not be a gene problem. It may not be a gene mutation. It is a power failure that forces. Now, sometimes if the electricity fails, you are forced to heat your home with wood burning and mm -hmm. you get smoke and you can inhale smoke and get into trouble. Something like that. The power producing facility was damaged. Blimey. So for all our listeners out there, and I guess the parents who I'm sure have learned so much from, from what you've just told them already, what can they do to help as a, as a parent with a, a child that's got childhood cancer? No, it is natural to feel fear. It is natural and normal to fear helplessness. That is on your side, the parent side. Mm -hmm. But then you have to look at your child, this child who was such a source of happiness. Now, what can I do to continue the value, the home environment in such a way the child can not only feel happy, but most importantly, the child will not feel guilty that he or she is the source of unhappiness in the home. Mm -hmm. So you have to be the child can sense how you feel just looking at your face. You don't have to say a word. Yeah, they know, the brain, don't they? They have the a massive, brain. massive emotional detector, don't they? They know when you're happy, when you're sad, when, you know, even like you say, it's body language. Yes, they are so tuned because they themselves don't have answers. Why did I get it? What am I going to do? Did I do something wrong? Did I not do something that I am supposed to do? So the first thing is to ensure the child is not responsible for his or her condition. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is you cannot have an anxious face when you see the child. And more importantly, you cannot have an argument with somebody else in the presence or in the hearing of the child because the child does not know. The child is anxious. Mm -hmm. When you're anxious, every little sound bothers you and you feel you are responsible for it. So you should never, if you are going to have an argument with your spouse or another child, don't do it in the presence or in the hearing uh, place of the child diagnosed with cancer. So when you see the child, you have to act normal, which is not easy to do because the moment you see the child's face, you feel bad. Why? Why did this happen to my child who was happy and running around a source of happiness for me? Suddenly, I feel sad. No, you cannot do that for the child's sake. So what sort of tips or advice could you give parents on how to hold it together really in front of their children? Because we're human beings and we have feelings, right? And we're taught to feel our feelings and, you know, let them pass. And 
not try and hide them all the time. So how how can parents manage these feelings? Have you got any tips for them? Yes, the, we have to make the household as normal as possible. The child has to go out and play. You need to read stories just like you would do or encourage the child to listen to music. To me, music is an excellent mechanism by which the child now has a lot of time, give soothing music, enjoy the music with the child because that takes the mind away from the immediate problem. Mm -hmm. Another example will be to have a pet or an animal. A child can relate to a pet and once, the idea is to keep the mind occupied and some children may like activities such as painting. Mm -hmm. And one, one thing I found most useful was gardening. Even if it is a simple plant in a pot, or if you have a small plot where you can, you know, bring the child out, let him plant the seed, see the, how the plant grows and enjoy the harvest. And just imagine how happy the child will be. Hmm. And once you get that yield from the garden, ask the child to help you with cooking. Mm-hmm. And the child will eat because he produce the plant and he's cutting and he's helping you cook and he will enjoy it more. Another thing is read stories and uh, read little, little poems with meaning, which is happy poems. And poetry and listening is wonderful way to spend time with the child. It's very important. Then just teach the child how to observe, go outside, see a flower and look at the color and then ask the child, how did the plant know to put the flower in this spot? Mm-hmm. Where does, there are two different plants side by side, but each one producing a different type of flower, color. How do yes. they get the nutrients from the same soil? So yes. how do they know I'm supposed to produce yellow flower? I'm supposed to produce white flower. How do they know that? And ask the child, you know, if if a bird is flying, where is that bird going? Create imagination and curiosity in the brain of the child and give him storybooks and he will continue that. So his mind is not preoccupied with this condition. And in some households, video games will work, but at the same time, you have to control the screen time. Just because the child is sick, he does not, he gets some, privileges, but not too much, especially if you have other siblings at home, Mm -hmm. they will demand the same screen time. So you have to be careful about that. So when you talk about those activities, what I'm hearing from you, Dr. John, is quite a lot of those activities are quite peaceful, quite um, thought-provoking, allowing the child to be curious, but also present. Yes, Yes. So, so, so when you talk about screen time, is there a reason why they shouldn't be looking at a screen? Does that have an impact on, on their health or is it just more? No, 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 no. The screen time means they may go to video games to the exclusion of other activities they have to do. They may still have schoolwork to do. And you have also be careful who are they interacting with. You know, somebody may take advantage of the child. So all these things, that's why you have to monitor the screen time Mm -hmm. based on what the child wants to do. And if a child's going through treatment or they're quite sick so that they have a limited amount of energy, 
what sort sorts of activities could you would it be still things like reading a book to them or just reading a poem assuming they wouldn't be up cooking with the parents or you know out and about in the garden if they're going through treatment and they're quite sick well again the parents have to de- decide at that time we can consultation with the uh, oncologist or the healthcare people first of all keep in mind i am not suggesting you forgo the usual treatment Yes. Because when you have so many cancer cells in the body, you need to reduce their number. Mm-hmm. Why? Because do you know why cancer causes problems in people? Cancer does not produce a toxin. Cancer does not destroy the neighboring cells. So why is cancer so um, you know bad for us? In order to multiply, in order to produce new cells, cancer cells voraciously confiscate all the nutrients and so the normal cells get deprived of nutrients they starve mm-hmm. that is what creates the problem so if you can reduce the number of cancer cells in the body the normal cells can function better so and that's what we're talking about working you know alongside the traditional medical route so going down working with the oncologist working with a medical professional so what we're talking here is how we can complement that down a holistic route to work hand in hand and help the body heal. Exactly. You hit it right on the head. That's exactly what this book is all about. It is not replacing the oncologist or the healthcare team, but helping them decide and more importantly to reduce the amount of medication mm-hmm. that is that is needed to control cancer because 60% of the children who uh, are cancer survivors can have some sort of long term side effect and most of it is related to the dose of treatment so if we can reduce the amount of medication the oncologist and the healthcare team has to use then you are looking at the long term reducing the long term side effect of the chemotherapy or radiation or whatever treatment they are having or immunotherapy that's the new one so we are every human body is used to having cancer cells in the body do you know when we have the maximum number of cancer cells in our body or precancerous cells no. when you are in your mother's womb wow because keep in mind the the workers that produce new cells to form your brain to form your kidney to co- they are all new they have never done it before they keep producing they make mistakes and so if you make a mistake in construction of a gene you have a mutation so mutated cells are very common 90% are completely eliminated by our immune system before you are born so the what i'm trying to say is human body is very used to cancer cells or precancerous cells and it can contain the growth provided the cancer cell does not grow faster than the capability of the immune system to destroy them suppose the immune system can destroy 1000 cancer cells an hour but the cancer cell multiplication is 1100 mm-hmm. then you have a problem yes so on the one hand you need to have a strong immune system and the parents can make sure the child get the nutrients that needs to keep the immune system strong on the other hand you can reduce the fuel necessary for the cancer cell to multiply so it's a balancing act That so, is where the parents come in. 
So when we're talking about nutrients, and that was going to be my next question, because we're talking about supporting the medical route and balancing out the medication that they need. So rather than over-medicating, being able to hopefully reduce some of that medication that they're exposed to by doing something natural and holistic. So I'm guessing that's through the food that we're eating. Right. There are two things. One, to reduce the most of the vast majority of cancer cells, they thrive on glucose. Mm -hmm. And glucose is not the table sugar I'm talking about. Yes. The complex carbohydrate that gets into our mouth is what releases the maximum amount of glucose. And in modern diet, modern age diet, most of the complex carbohydrates come from grains. Mm -hmm. So when is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain product? See, 100 years ago, the percentage of food energy coming from complex carbohydrate was less than 35%. Now, after the agricultural revolution, in developed countries, the percentage of food energy from complex carbohydrate daily intake is 50%. Mm. In developing countries, it is 70%. Yes. Why? Most of the time, it is subsidized by the government, either through direct farm subsidy, the uh, fertilizer subsidy, food uh, you know, stamps, or whatever. So this makes grain-based products the cheapest food available and the most convenient prepackaged foods. So the first thing to consider is change the way the child and the, for that the whole family eats because they cannot ask the child to change the diet when the rest of the family no. is not following. That's so a bit cruel, isn't it? Yeah, it, it will be helpful for everybody. Absolutely. Because, Why wouldn't everybody want to eat healthier? Right. The way I present it is like this. Grains were never meant for humans. Otherwise, we would have had beaks to pick them up. <laughs> I remember you saying that on our last podcast. And it made right. me chuckle then. <laughs> right. And um, also the ability to digest the chaff. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. That means it is not meant for humans. But it is convenient because of the agricultural revolution. It is convenient to mass produce it. Mm -hmm. And it's easier for milling and uh, grinding people to make flour out of almost any grain. And being good cooks, you are. You, you, you produce a variety of food items using these grain products, grain flour. So when, because obviously if there's listeners out there who this is a whole new world to them in terms of nutrition and we're talking about complex carbohydrates, could you just for our listeners' benefits, just reel off a number of food products that are complex carbohydrates that perhaps would be included in, in a Western diet that they might want to start eliminating right away? Well, you don't have to eliminate them completely, but you have to cut down significantly. And the three common grains around the world are wheat, rice, and corn. Mm -hmm. So wheat, you know, flour from coming from wheat, corn, and rice and rice flour, these are the things you need to concentrate on cutting down. Now, I'll give you a clue why that is so. Think about food that you can get nutrients from in nature. Mm -hmm. Is there any food there that you can get nutrients from without chewing. Yeah. Why did nature do that? It packaged, you know, in different countries, they may be packaged in different shape vegetables or different color fruits or 
leaves, but they all contain the same 100 different nutrients a human body needs for healthy living. So it is all packaged there. But what we do, we go to the grains. How much can he chew rice? Mm -hmm. yeah. How much can he chew pasta, bread? So when you stop chewing, you swallow. So you end up eating faster mm -hmm. and you end up eating more. When you bite into a tomato or a carrot, you feel the taste. As you chew, you feel it. The first bite tastes so good, but then the intensity of enjoyment goes down. That is the brain telling you, I got enough nutrients from this food. Mm -hmm. I don't need it anymore. But what happens once you put the food on the plate, you tell the child, you better finish it. Mm. You cannot go food, you know, you cannot waste your food. There are starving children in India, in Africa. So you better finish your food. What connection do they have with the starving children? If you eat more, how can they know? How can that help? Yeah. So we brainwash the child, make the connections between the mouth and the brain not usable. And the child then will have to depend on the fullness or feeling of fullness of the stomach. And then he have lost it because the child will keep eating until the stomach feels full. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. When you are thirsty, do you drink water until your stomach is full? <laughs> no. No. So why should you eat until your stomach is full? Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid point. And I think just with the Western diet and like you say, with grains, it's, it's quite easy, isn't it, to load meals with um, pasta or rice because it's quite a cheap form of food. And I, I guess for families out there on, on low incomes and who perhaps have children that may be fussy eaters or used to eating those sorts of foods, what tips could you give them to start you know, substituting these foods out or reducing them like we're talking about? Because we're talking about the breads, the pastas, the rices, all the kind of grain-based foods, aren't we? Yes, th that's exactly what we are talking about, how to modify, because it's a new way of looking at food, not as something to fill your stomach, but as a source of nutrients. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of nutrients come into the body, not through grains, because grains have very little nutrient value. There's a plenty of energy value, which you don't need, but you need nutrients. So my simple suggestion is every day, try to eat at least three different vegetables. Every day, try to eat as three different nuts. Every day, try to eat at least three different fruits. The quantity will be determined by each person based on the enjoyment, mm -hmm. not what you cook not what you put on the plate, but how much you enjoy. Yes, you can add some meat or fish or egg to that. The diet consisting of these, it doesn't have to be at the same meal. No, you can have overall in a day, three vegetables, three nuts, three fruits, along with whatever else and a small amount of grain-based foods. That will give you all the 100 nutrients your body needs to have a strong immune system so that they can keep the multiplying cells in cancer under control. Amazing. Amazing. That's an amazing tip for people to start with, isn't it? If they've got children and just to start knowing that they can take that, you know, you're empowering them to take back that control as we talked about earlier. And it's a simple three 
the rule of three, isn't it? Your nuts, your yes. fruits, and your and, vegetables, and reducing reducing your grain based foods. Exactly, and and the meal time should be a happy time. Mm-hmm. Don't combine that with another happy event such as watching a TV or you know enjoying a game or something like that. Then human brain cannot concentrate on two things at the same time. Yeah. Yes, you can do multitasking. You can be aware of different things, but concentration. Can you do two math problems at the same time or read and do a math at the same time? No, you have to concentrate. The same way with eating. Concentrate. If you have food in your mouth, concentrate on the enjoyment. And then the brain will tell you when that enjoyment is down, you stop. So mealtime should be a happy time, enjoying with the family, eating the food, and that is most important. Uh, the quantity is immaterial. It is the quality. So you need a variety of foods every day. Try different fruits, different vegetables, different uh, nuts. It doesn't, again, the quantity is not that each person will decide. Because I don't know when you sit down to eat what your body needs. And you don't even know what nutrients the body is looking for, do you? Mm-hmm. No. All you know, all you know, you know, is you are hungry. So how can you decide? But your subconscious brain knows exactly. For example, can I give you an example? Please do, please do. Suppose we go for lunch to a buffet. Mm-hmm. We ask, no, how many food items do you choose? You choose five or six based on your previous experience and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the same buffet again for supper, we won't choose exactly the same. We choose something different. Why? Because the nutrients you got from lunch are still in your body, but your subconscious mind now knows what new nutrients are needed, which have been used up. And they have previous experience with other foods that will contain the needed nutrients. So you change what you choose. That is the empowerment that you had when you were a toddler. Yes. Before we uh, learned to be carbohydrate mach- burning machines. I put it another way before you start listening to your parents. <laughs> yeah, that's another way. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the thing is, is we have the gut microbiome access as well, don't we? And these illusions of cravings. So people say, oh, I really fancy, you know, a piece of bread or pasta or donut. And it's, it, it's that illusion of that craving that actually is coming from, from the microbiome, from the gut bacteria that you've actually, you know, built up and trained and cultivated. So sometimes it, it can be a bit cruel, can't it? Because you think that that's the food you want. But actually, when you listen to your body and you start eating healthier, your body starts craving more of the healthy foods. And like, like you're talking about, Dr. John, you start to then be more drawn towards the nutrients your body needs rather than what we've taught our bodies to process, I guess. Yes, because you can get conditioned Hmm. by the dopamine feel. Yes. Just like you get addicted to alcohol Mm. or tobacco smoke. The conditioning aspect is there. So that is why you need to train and retrain. But keep in mind, the memories that you established during your toddler years up to age six, they are still there. So you can reactivate them by going back, taking time to eat. Don't be in a hurry because that is the biggest problem. 
in modern age, you don't have time to sit down and enjoy your meal. Mm -hmm. You're in a hurry. You're going to out to play or you're going to out to work or you have something to finish. You have a deadline. You're waiting for something all the time. You don't have time to sit down, relax, enjoy. Yes. The time you take to eat, that is your personal time to enjoy. There is no other activity that you can do multiple times a day and still get full enjoyment. There's none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Oh, Dr. John, all these wonderful tips. I've got a couple more questions for you, if I may. Sure. So for children out there, because I'm just thinking of friends who've got children who are quite fussy eaters. So if if they're going through treatment and they listen to this wonderful podcast and all your wonderful tips and tools on what foods to start swapping out, if they start presenting the child with, you know, your fruits, your vegetables, your nuts, and, and they they just don't want them, they're quite fussy eaters. Have you got any tips or tools? Is it just keep trying different fruits, different vegetables, different nuts until they find something that they like? Well, there are two things here. If the child is undergoing treatment for cancer, it is messing up the control mechanisms and the child himself don't feel good. If you don't feel good, you don't feel like eating. So Mm -hmm. you have to let the child decide in a way what the child needs. And when the child is feeling better, then you may have to combine that with something. And the parents will have to be creative. You know, if you are making pasta, for example, Mix some vegetables with it. Mm -hmm. The the child will feel the taste to be the same, but you are sneaking in some nutrients into the child's body. Same way, give some nuts. Whenever the child wants a snack, give some nuts or include nuts in the snack. Things like that. So the parents have to be creative and a variety of foods, whatever the child likes. If the child does not like an agent at that time, that's fine. But if the child is craving something, do something and let, let it slow down, enjoy the meal. Because if you look at different foods in around the world, they all look different, taste mm-hmm. different, but fundamentally they contain the same nutrient. Yes. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. Fascinating. All around the globe and you can get similar nutrients wherever you go. Yeah. Whatever the size or shape or taste or smell of the food that you're eating, And the other thing is spices. How does human body enjoy spices? The only reason I think is because that spice contains a micronutrient the body needs, not in huge quantity, but in a small small amount. If the body did not need it, you will not enjoy the spice. So including cooking with spices is another way to introduce micronutrients into the child's diet. Brilliant. That's, that's priceless, isn't it? Because that's, that's really easy for, for parents to do is to start introducing spices. Like you say, even if they put some vegetables and spices in with some pasta, at least the children are starting to get some more nutrients in their diet. And then over time, hopefully we, we can reduce the pasta and increase the vegetables. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. And my, my last question is, is your view on drinking. Because obviously quite a lot of children that I see um, through friends, they tend to go for fruit juices. So maybe cordials or things like that. 
what advice could you give? Because we've talked a lot about food. What advice could you give for fluids and keeping that fluid intake up and, and things to avoid and things to maybe swap out? The, the best example is, is there any liquid food in nature? None. So if, if you are thirsty, that's because the body needs water. It is not looking for a cola. It is not looking for fruit juice. It's not looking for anything else but plain water. Once in a while, the child can have some juice or whatever, or cola. The main thing is if the nutrient concentration in that liquid, in the drink, is higher than what is available in nature, how are you going to control the quantity? Mm-hmm. Once you blend a food or make a juice out of fruits, the quantity control is lost. Yes, That is where the problem is. But once in a while, that is fine. Let the child enjoy when he's in a party, a birthday party, everybody's drinking uh, fruit juice. That is fine. But at home, you should make it a point. If you want to eat orange, eat orange, not drink orange juice. Because when you drink orange juice, you don't know how much. Whereas with the orange, you can taste it and then stop. So the quantity control is the problem, not the product itself. Yes. And that's with juices. So what, what, what about things like energy drinks and sodas? I mean, well, the problem is with energy drinks is how do you know that is what your body needs at that time? Mm. These are all made of, based on assumptions. Your body needs oxygen for function. So if you breathe in more oxygen, is that going to help? So similarly, when your body needs the only agent or only organ that knows what your body needs in time, is your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Even your conscious mind doesn't know what your body is looking for when you're hungry or when you're thirsty. So you have to depend on your own brain. Mm -hmm. And it has the faculty, as as we discussed regarding toddlers, they decide when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, and they grow up normally. If they can do that, why can't we? Kids know the answers, don't they? And then we become adults. Yes. <laughs> and we forget everything that we knew. Right. <laughs> the circumstances, the school setting, the play and the enjoying with friends and family, the festivities, all these play a role. But fundamentally, in the house, you have to make sure that you follow the natural rules of regulation of intake based on enjoyment, not fullness of the stomach. We all enjoy eating. All I'm suggesting is enjoy what you eat. Yes. Yeah. Different mindset. Yes. And what you drink and water is the answer where possible. Exactly. I love it. I love it. I've asked all my, well, I've got, I could ask you loads and loads and loads of more questions, but I think for today, I think that was a, a really, really good episode, Dr. John. I think if any of our listeners out there, anything resonates with them or they want to leave us any feedback, if they go to alternativehealthtools.com and go to this episode, there's a little blue microphone where you can leave your thoughts and your feedback and we'd love to hear from you. And I just can't thank you enough again, Dr. John, your your wealth of knowledge and your kindness. It just, it just seeps through that you're just so passionate about empowering people to take back control of their health where they can to be able to work alongside the medical route and yeah, just just start to help themselves on their healing journey. So thank you very much once again for being on the show. May I make a suggestion? Please do. If you are getting a number of questions based on the topic we 
discussed. Send me those questions and we can have a session just yes, answering sir. questions. Yes. What a wonderful offer to all our listeners out there. I hope you heard that. Dr. John's offered to come back and answer all your questions. So if you do have them, go to alternativehealthtools.com, find this episode and pop your questions using the microphone or you can email us in if you've got them and, and we'll get Dr. John back on to answer those questions for you. That's such a wonderful offer and thank you very much. And I cannot uh, tell them about medications or medical treatment. This mm -hmm. is strictly my opinion about the control of food intake and how to help the child who yes. has cancer and how to empower the parents to be part of the treatment plan rather yes. than a bystander. Yes. And that's the whole point of alternative health tools. We're not there to do it instead of we're there to, to complement it and take back control as much as we can and do whatever we can in a natural way to support it. And it's a very good point, Dr. John. Well, keep on listening to Lisa Victoria. Oh, thank you very much. And our wonderful co-hosts across the pond. We've got some amazing new co-hosts and Kim Shea, who was doing a, a fantastic job. She's uh, she's departed from the show temporarily. So uh, yeah, we've, we've got a great team here. So yeah, I just, I feel blessed to be part of it. And I thank you for continuing the program. That's wonderful. Well, until next time, this was Dr. John with Lisa Victoria, your health and well-being coach from across the pond. And if anybody wants to reach out to Dr. John or know more about the wonderful work that he does, you can do go to the website, drjohnonhealth.com. And until next time, stay safe, stay well. Thank you. Thank you.